This is Ye Old Dragons Library, the storytelling podcast. Each week, you'll hear a portion of a work in progress and have a chance to interact with the author and other readers on the author's blog, posing questions, answering questions from the author, and hopefully having a lot of fun. Are you ready? Let's begin. Episode 12 In Episode 11, Ash was sent into a cavern to determine if the vampires supposedly trapped there by bloodweed were asleep. All she had to protect herself were stakes soaked in bloodweed and the magic in her blood. She and Fang in the ring soon encountered a vampire named Morris, who offered to guide them out of the cavern in exchange for stories. Could he be trusted? Let's find out. The rest of the story was somewhat anticlimactic. Ash told how she and Fang had come down the slope into the cave and their agreement to find a way out, as far away from the village and soldiers as possible. And then you met us. Or were you sitting there on the ceiling waiting for us to come to you? Oh, I was sitting there for some time, but I wasn't really waiting. I was deep in thought, so I didn't even know you were there until you were nearly underneath me. Morris chuckled. I decided the next several years shall be devoted to writing poetry. I rather like the image of the lonely, isolated, melancholy poet. So I decided to wander in the portions of the cavern everyone else avoids. It's entirely by chance I came far enough away from the inhabited areas to meet up with you. And I have to admit, this is far more fun than sitting and dreaming up rhymes. Just how big is the cavern? the ring said. I get the inference that your people live nowhere within reach of those villagers and their hunting schemes. Gracious, no. They would have to come in here and walk for two days straight just to get close to our residential caverns. You think these growths that light our way are lovely? Morris gestured at a particularly fascinating swirling pattern of greens that darkened and lightened and darkened again. They're rather plain, compared to the colors and brightness and patterns in the cultivated areas. No, we retreated far enough back that the fumes from bloodweed in all its growth cycles could never reach us, once we realized the people of Nordwell were making the same mistake as Halvel and letting themselves be overrun. Nobody comes out this far at this time of the year because it's the blooming season and the fumes are twice as potent. The irony is that my tribe has been exposed to the wretched stuff for so long, we've developed an allergic reaction. We get sick before the fumes are strong enough in the air to intoxicate. It's like having the hangover without the fun of being drunk. You mentioned enchanters made bloodweed, Ash said. Oh, indeed. Some enchanters among the nightborn thought they were powerful enough and wise enough to manipulate the very seeds of life within living things. They wanted to combine several plants to create a general... Well, you can't really call it an antidote, can you, when being nightborn isn't a disease? But they wanted to alleviate some of the less appealing aspects of being nightborn. At least, less appealing from the mortal point of view. The goal was to help us stop drinking mortal blood and just get by on strictly animal blood, and allow us to walk in the sunlight 
in the countries where people were terrified of us to the point of genocide. He sighed. It didn't quite work out the way they hoped. It wasn't really their fault. Except, of course, an alliance of enchanters and sorcerers decided they had no right to try such a thing in the first place and set out to punish them for their arrogance. It turned into a massive war of magic, and the newly born bloodweed plant was warped, turned into an intoxicant that would eventually build up in our bodies to poison us and kill us. He shrugged and spread his hands out, palms up in a what-can-you-do gesture. That's awful, Ash said, and so unfair. Thank you. We believe so, he sighed. And yet we do have hope. I have found it strangely fulfilling to sit in darkness and watch sunrises. Do not ask me why, because I cannot explain it even to myself. There are ancient tales that hint the nightborn were once creatures of daylight, the ring offered. Perhaps you carry ancestral memories. You mentioned hope? Yes, hope, Morris shrugged. But that is a story for another time. Tell us a story from your many travels on other hands. The ring complied and told many stories of brave people and cowards, thieves and falsely accused criminals, desperate folk, and those who made foolish decisions or were tricked by schemers. Ash wondered if the ring picked some of those stories to teach her, and perhaps to warn her. They reminded her of many stories she had read in the Fairhold Library. She had devoured every story and adventure where magic had some part to play in the outcome. Ash thought she had a glimmer of the pattern that seemed to control or at least influence actions and outcomes throughout the world. There was a sense of current, of purpose, of some greater power moving things and people and events, a general tide sweeping all of creation towards some grand, just outcome. Perhaps because she had magic in her blood, born of people who worked with magic, this tide had pushed her to where she was now? The current of justice and purpose, and perhaps fate or destiny, was pushing her to where she needed to be? Toward regaining the station in life she should have had all along? Who knew where she would be in this world right now, physically and in terms of her education, and the type of home she would have grown up in if her parents hadn't joined that effort to defend the land from that devastating tidal wave. Was there magic, as she believed, in simply being an orphan, or some sense of recompense for losing her parents and the life they would have given her? Was she being moved toward the enemy who Blaz suspected would be on the hunt for her? Was she fleeing some evil overlord of magic right now and didn't even know it? Was she being lured by roundabout means to her doom at the hands of the enemy who had killed her parents? Such thoughts occupied her during the long silences between the ring's stories and the ensuing discussions, and then even more so after Morris shared stories of vampire history and culture and lore. She couldn't shake the feeling that he was trying, granted with subtlety, to convince her that his was a better life more lyrical and philosophical and serene. She was grateful, when she curled up to rest, that Fang cuddled close and Morris left them alone. He said he was foraging for something they could eat, but for the first day of their journey, she always started alert at the slightest sound, sure that a horde of vampires was coming down upon them. Then, after the fifth or sixth time that she sat up, 
and Fang grumbled at her for waking him, she finally figured out that if the bunny wasn't worried, she had no reason to be so. And certainly the ring would warn her if danger approached. That realization allowed her to rest more completely. Physically, at least. She spent most of the quiet time thinking, perhaps too much, in the three days she and Morris, Fang, and the ring traveled underground. They splashed through trickles of water and climbed over massive ripples in the cavern floor and slid down slopes worn smooth by flooding, sometimes pausing to look upward at sunlight filtering through crevices and sinkholes high over their heads. Do you think you will look back on this journey with nostalgia? Morris asked, after a long period of quiet on their third day of travel. Ash had to take his word for it that two days had passed. She had no sense of time down here, with the soft glow of the cave growths and the muted chimes of running or trickling water, and always the smell of wet rock in her nostrils. Nostalgia? She had to think to understand the word. Fondness? Yes, I think so. This has been interesting. Despite all the walking, it has been peaceful. No worries about shelter. No, I was thinking more of longing, wishing to go back. Fang, hopping somewhat lazily a few paces ahead, stopped and turned to look at them. His left ear stood straight up, and his right ear bent in the middle, bobbing slightly as it pointed straight at Morris. Ash had no idea what that meant. I don't know, she finally said, when she couldn't think of any response that wouldn't anger or sadden him. She still felt flickers of fear, despite all this time walking safely in his company, and the ring's trust that he would fulfill his promise. Morris was a vampire, after all. When she slept during their many short rest stops, she always dreamed, and many of those dreams were of him trying to drink from her, asking her to let him drink from her wrist, or leading her in circles so she could never escape the cavern. There is still so much of the world to see, the ring responded, when the silence that stretched between them started to feel tight and strained. So many amazing places to explore, stories to investigate and determine, and Justice C.R. Camwell could send soldiers to find Ash if she doesn't make some effort to fulfill the conditions of the quest. He is a powerful man, and just petulant enough to be feared, even if he is rather more genial and generous than most in his position. Of course, Morris said. A fair answer. Why did you ask? Ash said, and regretted it the moment the question left her lips. She mentally slapped herself for continuing this topic that now sent chills of warning across her scalp. Hope. Fang squealed and hopped away, glowing a soft bluish white. He vanished around a bend in the tunnel, and the echoes from his thumping leaps changed, though Ash couldn't quite discern how. She just knew there was some difference in the quality of the echoes. "'What's ahead?' she asked. "'Outside?' Morris shrugged. She almost said, "'Daylight?' but held back the word. If there was daylight, there would be some reflection, a bit of glow against the bend in the tunnel wall. Ash shivered a little, as she realized that indeed the cavern had been shrinking around them. The ceiling had been lowering, so it was no longer two stories overhead.' Now it was less than a story high, and the cave growths weren't as numerous or colorful. The glow they gave off was mostly greenish, tending toward yellowish-white. The walls had been creeping closer on either side as they walked, and she hadn't noticed. 
Fang? She fought down a sudden, breathless sensation when the echoes of his big feet slapping against the stone stopped suddenly. What's happened to him? He's out, I suppose. Out? But... Then she heard it, through the fluttering of her heart and the soft breaths of the breeze that had accompanied them from the first moment of this long walk through darkness. It was a little more than a whisper, but she felt the power in it, the promise of energy. It could become a roar if she gave it a chance, if she listened and let it draw her closer. The waterfall? It stands as a curtain and a door harder to penetrate than any fortress could hope for. Morris sighed again. She was starting to get tired of that. He had been sighing since she woke up from the last rest stop. What was his problem? Fang? What was she doing calling for him? He couldn't hear her through the war of the waterfall. Had he gotten through? Was he outside in the fresh air? Was it night out there? Was that why she didn't see any reflection of light? How far away was that bend in the tunnel where she could see the way out? Suddenly Ash ached to get moving. She didn't care how powerful the waterfall, how heavy the force of the falling water. She couldn't wait to step into the wet, get drenched, wash the smell and taste of stone out of her mouth and lungs and hair. She couldn't wait to get outside and find something to eat other than mushrooms and the slightly slimy lichen and the blind cave fish Morris had taught her to find and harvest. He had been kind, finding dry hunks of wood that had fallen down through the gaps in the cavern ceiling so she could cook the fish. Still, there was something odd, almost repulsive about cave fish, and she never wanted to taste it again. He's probably past the waterfall by now, enjoying himself. Morris gave her a sad smile that made her ache. If one of the younger children at Fairhold had given her that look, she would have hugged him. Ash shivered deep inside, sensing that hugging Morris right now would be the most dangerous thing she could ever do. While he insisted that vampires fed from the wrist, she had heard too many tales of people who had been bitten in the neck, with perfect aim so one long fang pierced the thick vein and drained their lifeblood in moments. It was an image she couldn't shake, no matter how hard she focused on other things. And now she was alone, entirely alone with Morris. It's a beautiful world down here, isn't it, he said. When had they stopped walking? That bend in the tunnel ahead of them seemed hundreds of paces away. I need to check on Fang. What if he fell? He's always bouncing around like a maniac. This would be just the right time to lose his balance and hit his head and... and drown. Ash took two steps. Morris caught hold of her hand, drawing a yelp from her. His hand felt cold now, even though she had held his hand dozens of times along the way when he helped her climb. Did I tell you of the prophecies? The promises, glimpses of the future, of a time when, with enough magic brought into the bloodlines, we would be free of the curse that would keep us prisoner in darkness? No. Magic and blood? Was he going to drain her blood because there was magic in it? Ring, she thought. What is he talking about? I haven't heard that story, the ring said. The prickles of heat that accompanied his words scorched Ash's finger. She didn't mind, because Morris had been holding that hand, and now he yanked his hand free. Where does that story come from? the ring continued. He glowed now, and his glow was brighter than the cave growths, making them look skimpy and weak. Does it matter? It is one of our most precious treasures. 
Morris fell into step with Ash as she started forward again. She shifted the pack on her shoulder to her other hand, putting it between them, keeping her hand full so he couldn't take it again. Our most ancient visionaries foresaw a day when we would have enough magic in our bloodlines that we could walk again in sunlight, with no need for stopgap measures like bloodweed would have been. Whenever we find a mortal with magic in their blood, we ask them to join us, to become one of us, and the children born of those unions are children of promise. I would be honored and proud and pleased, yes, very pleased, to make you one of us, Ash. His lips parted as he smiled, and she had the awful feeling his fangs were twice as long as they had been the last time he relaxed control and revealed his teeth. Did vampire fangs extend and retract? Was that how they were able to bite and drink without ripping out the throat of their victims? Ash called herself an idiot for believing him for one moment when he said that civilized vampires, she would never call them nightborn again, preferred to drink from the wrist. Lady Ashlyn has a duty and a destiny and promises to keep, the ring said, his tone frosty. The heat prickling out of him grew even hotter, biting her finger. Ash wouldn't be surprised if she found blisters under the ring. She is a servant, treated like property. Just a few steps higher in value than a cow or horse out there, Morris snapped and gestured ahead of them. Was that a hint of light? Or if not light, then less dark shadow? Where was Fang? Here in this world we have created, she will be a queen. She will be adored. I adore you already, my warm, bright, witty Ash, he declared, with that fervent purr in his tone that made her feel chilled again, just like the first time he had spoken to her. He raised his wrist to his mouth and bit down hard. Then he thrust his bleeding hand toward her, making her stumble backward until she hit the tunnel wall. Sweet, lovely Ash, drink from me, then let me drink from you. Stay here with me. I am so cold and you warm me. Let me share all the riches of this world. Let me give you a life of centuries, millennia, and all the glory of music and poetry and stories, with time enough to read every book, sing every song, play every instrument, live forever. With me, he finished on a rasp of such pain and longing, it wrung a sob from her. Run, the ring shouted in her mind. With such force, she felt as if her head would split open. Ash lunged at Morris. Smiling, he spread his arms. She dove, sliding between his legs, rolling and vaulting to her feet in a move she was sure she would never be able to repeat. Her heart thundered in her temples, deafening her, choking her with the force at her throat. No, my love, Morris howled. Yes, that was a faint glow of light. She stretched her legs as far as they would go, willing herself to move quickly, ready to shrug out of the straps of her pack and let it fall sacrifice it for speed and lightness. Stay with me. Be a queen. Let us worship you. Give us your magic and give your children, our children, the power to rule the world. Everything in her shrieked to look back, to see where he was, how close he was. Ash knew better. That was how she had always lost races against the boys at Castle Fairhold. This was too important a race to lose. If he was catching up with her, she didn't want to know. Why, why, why had she dumped out all those blood-weed-infused steaks? Why hadn't she kept one, a short one, just in case? It wouldn't kill Morris, but it could make him sick. Couldn't it? 
Slow him enough to let her get out past the waterfall? Unless it was night. Maybe that glow was the moon. What good would it do her to get outside if Morris could follow her? Why was it taking so long to get closer to the opening and the waterfall and freedom from the tunnel? Ash's left foot skidded out from under her. She went down, sliding on wet stone. Her chin cracked against the ground. She tasted blood. Her ribs screamed at her. She twisted, trying to get on the side that didn't hurt, desperate to get back to her feet. In the glow from the ring, she caught movement and looked up. Morris was right overhead, moving on all fours on the roof of the tunnel, eyes wide and bright with tears, his face twisted in agony. Fury shot through her, driving away the aches, the fear she had broken something. He had no right to be upset. Keeping her head tipped back to watch him, refusing to turn her back on him for a second, she struggled to her feet, slung her pack back into place, and fought the urge to clasp her hand around her throat. She refused to let him see her fear, even if she knew he could smell her fear. She hoped he smelled her fury as well, and it stopped him. She hoped it made him ill. Please, stay with me. It won't hurt. You'll laugh soon and wonder why you feared. Morris scrambled across the ceiling, moving faster than those long, many-legged creatures she had imagined living in the darkness down here. Ash's gorge rose at the mental comparison, and she turned, nearly tripping over her feet in her haste to keep him in sight. She ran, terrified he would get ahead of her, dropped down and blocked the way out of the tunnel. The sound of the waterfall grew stronger, louder, closer, but not nearly loud enough to drown out the furious racing of her heart, the wheezing of her breath, the shrill whimpers at the end of every inhalation from her aching, burning ribs. Morris dropped down from the ceiling, yanking a shriek out of her. He turned a graceful, liquid somersault and spread his arms and legs, taking up most of the width of the tunnel. Damp mist filtered around him, past him, caught on a breeze that moved inward from the waterfall. Was the light brighter, coming through the water? Did she see movement? Ash couldn't be sure, with the glow of the ring interfering. Was it at all possible that wasn't moonlight through the water, but dawn light? Whatever it took, she had to get past him. If she could get past him, into the growing daylight, she would be safe. How could she get past him? Stay with me. I adore you. Morris held out his wrist to her. It had healed. No sign of the bite except a few streaks of drying blood. He glanced at his wrist, and a brief flicker of sheepishness mixed with annoyance nearly wrung a chuckle from her. She was too out of breath. Hasn't anything I've told you, anything I've showed you, made you curious, made you hungry for what could be? Think of the power, a chance at immortality, everlasting youth. Drink of me. Let me drink of you, and we can be together forever. He shrugged. Won't that be nice? Nice? She choked, caught between stunned and pitying and frustrated when Morris nodded, grinning. Had he perhaps hit his head, crawling across the ceiling, and knocked himself witless? What made him think any girl could be persuaded by such talk? His mistake, she realized in that moment of breathless clarity, was that he had given her a choice. He should have ambushed her while she slept, put his bleeding wrist to her mouth while he bit her wrist, and presented her with the deed done the moment she woke. The only maidens she knew of who had choices were the ones in fables, in grand adventures, and usually they were presented with choices that guaranteed heartbreak, no matter what choice they made. Servants had more freedom to choose than the nobles they served when it came to marriage, 
but those choices could be torn from them in a moment to serve the needs or whims of the nobles who held the power of life and death over them. Ash vowed in that moment she would never marry unless she could choose, and if the man chose her, and she would guarantee that choice for her children and their children after them, if she had to go to King Abrosian and all the clerics and holy folk around the world to force them to listen to her and agree that everyone had the right to choose to follow their hearts, she would. That pause to think was a mistake. Morris bit his wrist again and leaped at her. Ash yelped and ducked out of the way, and her wet boots slipped. She went to her knees. Morris tumbled after her. Fang burst through the wall of water into the tunnel, chattering furiously, sparks shooting off his claws where they scraped on the stone, his wet fur emitting a reddish glow that turned more bloody with every heartbeat. No, 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 Morris howled as he leaped to his feet and bent to reach for Ash. Fang hit him dead center of his chest. They went tumbling. Ash heard the thudding of his massive feet pummeling Morris in belly and chest. Morris shrieked as Fang's front teeth clamped down on his wrist. His eyes glowed solid red, and his face warped as his jaw extended, and his fangs shot out to three times their length. Morris bit down hard on Fang's neck, wringing a shriek from him. Ash leaped to her feet and swung her pack with all her might. One strap tore free as it slammed into the back of Morris's head, knocking him forward, knocking Fang loose. The bunny flopped down limp on the floor of the tunnel. Morris's head slammed into the floor and he went limp. Ash didn't think. She snatched up Fang under one arm, the other hand clutching her pack by its one remaining strap. She ran. She leaped, plunging through the curtain of the waterfall, and fell. And that's the end of episode 12. If you're a member of my Patreon group for Yield Dragons Library, this is your chance to get the first goodie, the first extra that I offer to members of the Patreon group. Contact me and I will send you an ebook of the very first story written about Na, Ambrose, and Fang the Bunny. Na is short for Belladonna, and she is the daughter of Ash. So go to the Patreon group, speak up. Let me know if you'd like the story. The very first story is called The Daughter of the Beastly Beauty. And I will send you an ebook as soon as I've got your email address. And remember to come back next week for episode 13 when we find out how Ash is going to deal with this new development. Fang was bad enough, but now he's a vampire. Or is he? We'll find out next week. <laughs>